everyone, Karen here with an editor's note. This week's episode of Citizen Dame was recorded before Anthony Rapp's allegations against Kevin Spacey were released. This is why there's no mention of it in this episode. As you can imagine, we're all upset by the news, and we'll discuss it next week, provided something even worse doesn't break in the meantime. Welcome to Citizen Dame, a podcast where four women film critics gather to talk about film and television and Hollywood news and all the things that pisses off. This is episode six. I'm Karen Peterson, and here with me is Kristen Lopez. I didn't know we had an official intro. I've just been talking out of my ass <laughs> just every time wrote I wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. <laughs> Lauren Humphreysbro. Hello. <laughs> and Kimberly Pierce. Hello. All right. Well, welcome back, everybody. It's the first time we're all four together in a while. So Yay. this is fun. So we have a lot to talk about this week. But uh, what is just something that everybody watched this week? We'll fall back on that favorite. Kristen? Ooh, okay. So non-related to what we're going to review. Yeah. Um, I saw uh, Novitiate, which I thought was really interesting. I don't necessarily know if I could say that it's good. But I enjoyed it, and I saw Killing of a Sacred Deer the other day, which I I, I still don't know if I liked it at all. Um, <laughs> it's so it's so dense and complex. All I can say is, if you're gonna go see it, brush up on your Greek mythology. <laughs> and I'm not kidding. Oh, no. That's literally the best way to interpret it. Interesting. <laughs> Lauren, how about you? Uh, well, I had the dubious honor of going to see Blade Runner 2049 yesterday. <laughs> uh, My apologies. If, if anyone follows me on Twitter, then you you know my feelings about it. I have I have not been so angry leaving a film in a very long time. I hated it so much. But you loved Jared Leto, right? <laughs> <laughs> Jared Leto, I, I was like probably the only time that I actually laughed during that entire film because it was so bad. Like it was I was so terrible. Yeah, I, I hated it with every fiber of my being, and it's a viciously misogynist film, and I would like to burn it to the ground. So that's but but don't you don't you know the women are in positions of power and they're doing stuff? And, you know, you know they're could, like really active. I could talk for the next hour about all of the things that are wrong with every single argument that I've heard. Just like, oh no, actually women are in power. No, actually this is really progressive and all that. Just like no, no, no. no. It's just, it's what's not. what's really funny is is go read um zoe kazan she went and saw blade runner and she wrote a whole list of things that were making me so happy because she brought up some of the exact same things that i had brought up when i saw it and the amount of vitriol she got (laughs) from predominantly men um about how you know it's not that bad and she's a moron i I was just like thank you for saying this thank you for making me think i'm not crazy for pointing these things out I'm I'm horrified by the number of critics that just have not addressed. Like Agreed. even even if you want to try to make an argument that that there is some kind of progression, I can kind of see where you can get that. Even though I think it's really reading against the grain. But even even if you want to make that argument, you have to deal with the fact that female bodies are torn apart in this movie. They're completely dissected. I didn't. I just I walked out feeling so dehumanized that I I was livid with anger. Yeah. Not that I'm kicking my feet up and putting my hands behind my head right now, but I just want to say, remember how much I hate Denny Villeneuve? <laughs> this is why. This is why. Okay, again, 
this is Sicario level like irritation from actually no I still fucking hate Sicario with every fiber of my being but <laughs> yeah no no remember how I all said Danny Villeneuve would know how to write a woman like he doesn't di- write women of course he just directs them horribly so yeah yeah so that was fun <laughs> uh, yeah. Kimberly how about you uh, this yeah, help us find some some positivity I actually <laughs> haven't had a bad week at all um I caught I Tanya earlier this week I hate <laughs> you so much <laughs> and I saw Thor and the word of mouth that's going around on that is exactly right and the last one I saw, I saw a little, it, best way to describe it is like an animated, part animated documentary called Liana, um, which was a pre-screening for the Denver Film Festival this week. And it was absolutely adorable. Fun. Well, I yesterday went and saw The Florida Project. How was that? I'm so mad that's not playing in near me. Well, it was so funny because I drove to a theater that's like 16 miles away and I made a joke about that on Twitter and I was like, California problems, like it's 16 miles to where this theater's playing. And people were like, oh, come on, I have to drive 60 miles to see oh. it. Like, you should have said you drove joking. 16 miles <laughs> in the snow with no shoes. <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. But, but, um, anyway, no, but I saw the Florida project yesterday and I wasn't aware that it didn't have a plot. So that was a little bit jarring for me at first. It was just like, Oh wait, we're just hanging out. Okay. But I thought overall it's, it's, um, it's a good movie. The kids are just adorable and great. Like I just love them. I don't really understand the Oscar talk for Willem Dafoe, just because, not because he's not good, because he is, but just because his character doesn't really have a whole lot to do. And, like, he doesn't have a moment where you're like, wow, yeah, he's really shining. He's just steadily good through the whole thing. So, I don't know, I'm not really clear on what other people see that I didn't, but overall I thought it was good. So... Do, do we see the... Everybody seems to love the little girl. Do oh, we see anything she's potentially a, there? Um, as far as awards-wise, no. Just because she's five, you know. But she's a good kid. And she, I think, if she wants to stay in acting, she's definitely got a career ahead of her. Yeah. Hopefully it comes to my theater soon. I hope so. It's at my one independent theater in Sacramento, which is only a 30-minute drive, but I don't drive the freeway. Yeah. So I have to, like, bum rides off of people to go down there. So, yeah. Uh, hopefully hopefully it'll be here soon. Yeah. Uh, well, good luck well, with is, that, because it's it's, it is a, it's a Netflix film, isn't it? So it'll be... No, I thought no. it was an Amazon film. Is it, see, I thought it was... Uh, it's A24, it's either. right? It's A24. It's A24. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So, yeah, it's... It's oh, okay. slowly going to roll out, which means yeah. which means OFCS won't get screeners for it either because A24 doesn't send us things anymore. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, thanks a lot, A24. <laughs> <laughs> I still love you, though. So, all right. Well, we'll move into news now. Where everything is horrible. <laughs> everything continues to be horrible. But however you want to take this, it has been two whole days since a new allegation has been leveled in the Hollywood falling apart messness. So I think someone should go check the internet really quickly though just to be certain that this is that this <laughs> right. is still true. Something is anybody on Twitter while right we're now? loading. 
I, I just checked, and I have not seen anything new in yay. the last, like, ten minutes. So, All yay. right. Go Hollywood. You've, you've made it through the weekend, hopefully, because it's not Te- Technically, they didn't. <laughs> technically, they didn't, because this all came out, like, Friday into Saturday. That's, okay, yeah, that's true, so. So, yeah. Well. Yeah. Do we, do we want to give a brief rundown and the lesson that all men are scum? <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and, and uh, give us a lecture, okay. Kristen? So, <laughs> so in the continued, Harvey Weinstein is a disgusting garbage person, and jail would be probably too good for him at this point, um, after he took his nice week-long therapy session, because apparently he's cured now, it only took seven days. The, the, the tape, the chick from The Ring kills you quicker, apparently. He, it came out again in the New York Times, written by Ronan Farrow, who is just killing it with these exposés, that uh, Annabella Sciorra, who you might remember from The Hand That Rocks the Cradle yeah. or um, a, a Jungle Fever, a couple other movies of the early 90s, she pretty much says that she was raped flat out no did not like no argument raped by harvey weinstein in the early 90s and that he continued to harass her long after it and ruined her career it's probably one of the more heartbreaking i mean all of them are all of these stories are horrific but hers is probably the most heartbreaking because she really seems to still feel the effects and the shame of it decades later uh, and it also came out that Daryl Hannah had admitted that even though she did not have an encounter nearly as, as you know, disgustingly terrible, um, that she still had a, a negative encounter with him that ended up ruining elements of her career. So, yeah. Um, and at this point, Harvey Weinstein is suing the Weinstein Company because he wants his personnel file because he claims that there is stuff on it that would exonerate him. Yeah. Other news, quick, quick, quick summation. Uh, James Toback says horrible things about people and says that he is an artist who would never proposition women to be in his movies because that would just compromise his art. He's a dumb fuck. Uh, and let's see, who else? Oh, Brett Ratner. Apparently there is something brewing about him that has caused people to back away from him. Uh, Gal Gadot was supposed to go to some sort of party in his honor but decided not to. Good for her. It's actually really funny that this whole Brett Ratner stuff is coming out because TCM just aired like a little little tribute to Kirk Douglas that's narrated by him. I'm not believing that Brett Ratner knows who Kirk's Doug- Kirk Douglas even is. And it just reminds me about that time that I was on Rodeo Drive and I saw Brett Ratner outside of Sprinkles Cupcakes. <laughs> and I looked at him and he looked at me and I just kept <laughs> And I was just sitting there like, I had to tell everybody after the fact, I was like, I went to Rodeo Drive and all I saw was fucking Brett Ratner. Like, that's it. Couldn't see anybody else that I would want to see. I had to see Brett Ratner. <sighs> that's my Brett Ratner story. So yes, in summation, men in power suck. So we're, we're up to like 81 women in the 83, case. 83, I think. 83. Mm-hmm. Well, 83. I... And, and the Tobek thing is like 310. Okay, 300, that's what I was just yes. going to ask because I heard that number thrown around. 310. Uh, that's, I think the the reporter who initially broke the story said that by within, it was it was within a couple of days. It started out with like 38 women coming out and then it by, by the end of it, 310 women had contacted him about being harassed or abused in other ways by Toby. And that includes Selma Blair and Rachel McAdams. Right. God. Yeah. It's horrifying. Mm-hmm. Yes. And can we just throw out, again, not to sound like misandrist, we know that not all men are scum. We are aware of this. You do not need to go on Twitter and then tell us that you hope that women will learn to trust men because you are not that bad. We're not talking about you. We're talking about other people. So... <laughs> 
please, men, stop tweeting that, you know, hashtag not all men. Because I, I don't need to be reminded that you're like the one guy in the world that's like not an ass. Right. <laughs> exactly. This has been my PSA. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. So it's, it's just so frustrating. But at the same time, it's like... I'm glad that this is all finally coming to light, and I think this is something you guys mentioned last week, that this couldn't have happened before really social media was such a big thing. I mean, it could have, people could have talked about it, but social media makes it so that it's just right out in front of everybody's face, so. And something else that I was thinking about, too, is, you know, of course this happens, and then people, you know on the right are mm-hmm. like, see Hollywood, you can't take care of it, but you guys are all hypocrites or whatever. But to me, it really shows that this is a problem that really doesn't, it should, but it doesn't have an easy answer. You know, there are a lot of people who knew what was going on, but they didn't know how to, or didn't want to, you know, cause ripples. They didn't want to jeopardize their own careers and it's a really tricky situation. It's a really hard thing. There are It's not as simple as just saying, hey, this guy's doing these terrible things. He sucks. Let's make him go away. There's so much more to it. And, you know, to sit there and say, well, Hollywood can't even keep its own backyard clean. Well, it's not even about that. It's about the fact that we need to figure out ways to have these conversations. We need to figure out ways to... to convince people to believe people you know to believe someone when they say that this happened to them well it also goes back to something lauren said a couple weeks ago that you know this started with critics it started with film critics right and that proves it's not just the men in power who are releasing the movies that much like blade runner promote or you know espouse these disturbing notions about women that are then reviewed and written by predominantly male critic society right and, you know, it just, yeah. it, it branches out from there, which in turn, because film is a dialectic and film inspires the culture and the culture inspires the films, you know, it, that goes out to the masses. So, I mean, it goes to the heart of, you know, it's just one of the many things about us as, you know, a, a country that needs to be looked at internally. And it's why I bring up that if you're a male who's saying, I'm not that one person that is a total scumbag, we... It's, it's like acknowledging white privilege. You know, you have to look at yourself and say, have I been a part of this in any way, shape, or form, and not even known it, you know? I mean, that's, that's the thing that people refuse to acknowledge. So it goes, it goes well beyond, yeah, Weinstein. It goes well beyond Austin, where we all thought that, you know, it was just mm-hmm. Harry Knowles and a couple critics. It goes well beyond that. Yeah, well, it's, exactly. it's the whole, I mean, it's a whole patriarchal system, and that's why, you know, talking about, oh, the, the conservatives yelling about about oh liberal Hollywood can't even keep its own backyard because just like look, look at all the allegations about Fox News look at the you know look at Bill O'Reilly I was just at, yes thank you for saying like that. all of these conservative pundits and you know and I mean my God the president of the United States and this like, goes this goes <laughs> like, well seriously. back this, this, this goes this, back decades mm-hmm. I mean you go yeah. all the way back to you know Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas, the creation of sexual harassment laws. You know, I mean, this isn't just an isolated incident where one guy harassed one woman and then we ended it and and nothing bad ever happened again you know it's it goes back to the very foundations of our of our country i mean it's just it's just how it is so people it goes back to the foundations of humanity (laughs) exactly exactly so yeah 
this is what patriarchy is, and it, it isn't about, you know, what side of the liberal conservative spectrum you're on. Yep. Um, it's about men in power, men wanting to have power, you know, exert, it's, you know, all of the things that are talked about, about toxic masculinity, all of it. The heartbreaking thing about the media stuff is, as you're saying, Kristen, there's, there's the sense of, like, our whole culture is being shaped by these men who are, you know, making films in, you know, the, the number of films that get made in which rape is sexualized and is turned into the titillation for the consumption of the male audience. You know, all of those things that are talked about, that, that the feminist film critics have talked about, about the male gaze and about the way that films are produced, about the way that the camera looks at women, all of that stuff. It's all a part of the same system. And, you know, now we're learning that women's careers have been ruined because they didn't sleep with the right guy or they wouldn't sleep with the right guy or they did and they were ashamed of it and they ran away you know and yeah. all of that is just heartbreaking this this entire culture has been formed by all of this really toxic masculinity and the only way we're going to move forward is by completely purging it and that includes everybody from the top down and, and there's a great article, I think it was on The Hollywood Reporter, I think it was, I could be wrong, but Janice Page, who was a classic film actress, mm -hmm. uh, wrote a whole um, essay about uh, sexual harassment during the studio era, mm -hmm. which if you study the studio era in any way, shape, or form, I mean, this was going on at th that point as well. There were always allegations about the likes of, you know, Louis B. Mayer, uh, yeah. Daryl Zanuck made yeah. Jennifer Jones get a divorce from her husband and marry him to promote her career. And it ended up driving her fucking insane. You know, Judy Garland became a drug addict because of allegations that involved studio heads. You know, there's rumors about Natalie Wood being raped. The, the I mean, Natalie it, Wood it's, allegations it's, are horrifying. The Natalie Wood allegations are horrifying and the person who did it is still fucking alive. Mm -hmm. okay, oh, really? You know what? Yeah, uh, yeah I, I, I will tell you off yeah. air because I don't want to get sued. Um, but but yeah, that person, I've I've talked about it on Facebook and I've been told that I'm incorrect about that story and I'm not. Um, so, I mean, it, it goes it goes back a ways. And, and what Lauren's saying about the way films are nowadays, I was just watching Split. I was rewatching it because I got a screener copy for it. And I realized that it is the second film out this year that involves a f lone female heroine who has been molested by a relative, that, that and it. And I was just sitting there thinking, when are we gonna get past that the only way a female character in a movie can be quote unquote strong is if she is horrifically violated by a man that she trusts? Like, why is that still a thing? And, and it's because most men are still writing these movies and they mm -hmm. think those same things. I mean, that's, that's acknowledging your own gender biases you know like why is that something that's still popular why are women not writing those stories because we don't want to fucking tell those stories so it's I, things like that you know it really requires everybody to be more introspective about what they're consuming in cinema you know it, it goes towards film is very deliberate it's a very deliberate medium you know and i think people that say that it's not are just totally uneducated about the nature of film yeah, well, so your point, Kristen, too, I was just thinking about the film Miss Sloan from last year with Jessica Chastain, right. and how she, which we don't need to talk about that film, but just there's a point that she makes in it where she's talking about her stance on gun control laws, and she, and how she doesn't necessarily have a specific incident that caused her opinion. She's just like, people think that you have to have some tragedy in order to be in favor or opposed to something. And it's not necessarily the case, you know? Mm -hmm. You can know something's exactly, wrong. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. 
so yeah you don't need to have a daughter to know that you know raping somebody is wrong like exactly. that's it goes back to that so yeah that's my that's my rant yeah <laughs> uh, all right I, I do want to mention something that someone said to me on twitter sarah miles who i've i've known for a while is a very good critic she said uh that she was just telling someone that she's loved movies for 30 years and all the while movies have hated me for being a woman and that like is both very true and broke my heart at that the is. same time because it, it's it's true it's that and for any woman who's a critic for any woman who just loves movies you realize how much movies so many movies hate women and there are, and there are movies that don't obviously but so much of that system just wants us to be at best secondary mm-hmm. and at worst non-human right yeah i i can i can throw out that like my favorite movie growing up was a little mermaid and it's only through the 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 you know my i'm assuming i'd like to say i was an intelligent child uh that all i took away from the little mermaid was that you know ariel was strong and she had a voice and you know she she told men where to stick it it wasn't until i was an adult that i realized like oh my god the little mermaid is a horrible story um and horribly misogynist (laughs) exactly both the original fairy tale and the disney movie but i mean it, it requires your parents and you know, you to be an active film goer, to be able to cherry, as a woman especially, to cherry pick parts of movies that you do like, and having to willfully ignore, like, the grander message. Well, one of my good friends actually said that she she loved The Little Mermaid when she was a kid because she identified with Ursula. I've heard that so many times. I can hear that. Which I, I thought was great, because it was just like, oh, all right, I'll be the villain. Because she's badass and crazy, and you know, okay, she dies in the end or whatever, but... She gets to do all of this fun stuff in the meantime, and I, I really liked that. And I, But I think that that's the position of a lot of women and a lot of minorities sort of across the board is that, tr- like you say, trying to find those characters or those elements of films that we can that we can take and internalize and make a part of ourselves because other otherwise we're screwed, man. Yeah. <laughs> Karen, steer us to something else, please. <laughs> well, yeah, I was going to say, actually, this all leads nicely into... A story that came out this week that James Mangold actually did an interview with The Hollywood Reporter, and he was talking about a spinoff from the Logan films, which is going to focus on Laura, which if any of you haven't seen Logan, sorry, this is kind of a spoiler alert, but uh, Laura is basically Logan's daughter, and she's young in Logan. It's not, they're just in the beginning stages of writing the film. So it's not really clear at what age Laura would be, if it would continue her adventures while she's still a kid, just because Daphne Keene was so highly praised or if this would follow her when she's older. But um, one of the things from that article that really stood out to me in a not great way, but let's find a positive spin to this. It says, As Mangold looks to the future in a possible Laura movie, he touches on the success of Patty Jenkins' Wonder Woman this summer and what that means for female-fronted films. Quote, Patty's success with that film only solidifies more for studios that there's less to fear with a female protagonist, says Mangold. The more that keeps getting hit home, that ends up giving me more space turning around and going, well, here we are with a female protagonist. That's incredible. And what are we going to do with her? And that's where we are with the Laura script right now, dreaming. Uh, okay, so the reason that that negatively stood out to me was, what the hell? Why is it that we're just like, oh, wow, Wonder Woman was successful this year, so finally we can start making 
movies with female, you know, strong female lead characters. What about Force Awakens a couple years ago? What about Gravity? What about the Hunger Games franchises? Like, all of those movies, why is it that it finally took Wonder Woman making so much money to the, for them to be like, oh, yeah, okay, we can I, make I money love, with this. I love how Hollywood seems to think that things exist in a vacuum. That one thing obviously proves. It's like when Magic Mike came out. Women, go to the movies. What? No shit, really? It's uh, or like a fucking 17 Hollywood. Yeah, or when, <laughs> when Girls Trip, when Girls Trip this year came out, they were like, women of color, go to the movies. Which And, and the sad thing is, is that you bring up Hunger Games, Forest Awakens, Gravity, all movies that had this same declaration. Yeah. We're definitely going to see more mm-hmm. females helming movies. And that we still get this surprise. Why do we still get this surprise in 2017 when we keep saying it's surprising? And that's because for me, I think it's this mental, the studio belief that this has nothing to do with women helming it. It has to do with name recognition. Force Awakens was successful because it's a Star Wars movie. Right. Hunger Games was successful because kids read the books. Gravity was successful because people like Alfonso Cuarón and Sandra Bullock, <laughs> like that, I yeah. guess. Um, yeah, I mean, they assume that it cannot possibly ever be because women want to see women on screen. Like that's just impossible. And for Mangold, who, as much as I've loved every single movie he's made, is firmly a man's man director. You know, I I don't. I think that, again, he has to check his own male privilege there and the fact that he finds this to be, like, something new and revolutionary. But it also goes back to what I always argue, which is women start these things and then men finish them. So, like, when Fifty Shades of Grey came out and that was a huge success, we didn't say it was Sam Taylor Johnson's success. She had nothing to do with it. Oh, it's because women read the books and yet when those movies got the sequels what they do they replaced her with the man or when the hunger games did successfully they were like that had nothing to do with Catherine hardwick that had to do with the fact that when people read the book and they replaced her with men after that the same man after those movies i've argued with male critics about this very thing i was like We'll see what happens if Patty Jenkins is allowed to helm the sequel, which, thank God, is going to happen for Wonder Woman. But I'll, you know, and I got told by a critic who shall remain nameless that, well, can't you just accept the small victory? Can't you just be happy with this one time? No, I cannot. Because if we rest on our laurels, then we're going to have women making one movie, getting no accolades for it, and then being replaced by a fucking man for the sequels and the franchise money because we assume that that success has absolutely nothing to do with those women. Right. And it does. It does. Point of clarification, though. Catherine Hardwick directed Twilight. Twilight, excuse me. Excuse me, yes, yes, thank you. I didn't want some angry, like, dude to be like, you were wrong, therefore your point is invalid. (laughs) Hollywood sees nothing but dollar signs, especially when we're dealing with this level of franchise. And that is, so what they are probably literally thinking is Wonder Woman has done well. They're doing the same thing that they did after Marvel after Marvel constructed their cinematic universe. After Marvel constructed the cinematic universe, everybody had to construct their own cinematic universe. Uh-huh. Now suddenly a woman has directed a, you know, a successful female geared series without the name recognition of some of the others. Oh, suddenly now, oh, well, you know, they're going that's what they're thinking. This is, you know, bank. And well, they're going to, yeah, it's, well, it's like, exactly like you said, Kristen. What's, it's not coming from 
the right i don't think it's not coming from the right area right what's so what's so odd about it is that they they you're right they look at that but they don't see this woman is obviously a very good director and she should be helming more movies exactly they see this movie was successful so we should take it away from this woman and give it to this other dude very often of whom like you know people have talked about uh, directors like colin trevorrow um, you're like, I mean, what a mediocre dude. Like, he's just a mediocre director, no matter how you cut it. And uh-huh. But he keeps on getting, like, franchises. He keeps on getting handed these things. Whereas people like Patty Jenkins, you know, Patty Jenkins had to fight to get Wonder Woman 2. Right. And well, thank and- God that she did, but Jesus. Well, let me just jump in there real quick, because Colin Trevorrow is one of the few people that's ever made me full-on nerd rage. Jurassic World is one of the... I find that one of the most disgusting, misogynistic films I've ever seen. Yeah. So horrible. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and that's the thing. I mean, you know, you they look at it as... And Colin Trevorrow is a great point. Uh, you know, Josh Trank is a great example, too. You know, you get these, these male directors that have proven that, oh, they can make a movie on a, a $2 million budget. It makes a lot of money. And then we immediately give them the keys to a, you know, billion-dollar franchise. And when it fails, we wonder what happened. Or when they get fired, Mm -hmm. we wonder what happened. A woman can direct the same movie on a $2 million budget, and it can make a lot of money. And they're like, great, we're going to hand it to that mediocre director who did the same thing as you. We have no proof that, like, he's capable, but we don't really care. And that's the other thing, too, is, like, Hollywood's so surprised. Oh, wow, Wonder Woman was successful. Patty Jenkins was able to pull it off with this big budget. You know what? A lot of women can do that. You've never given... You've literally never given a woman a $150 million budget to make a movie before. You don't know what they're capable of because you haven't given it to them. And really, I would go so far as to say that any director, regardless of gender, can make a movie on a low budget. I mean, not every director... There is no director I can think of that has made every film perfectly every throughout the entirety of their career. Yeah. Every director has bombs. And to say that uh, a director made an independent film, it made a lot of money, so that proves that he can direct a franchise. There's never been any indication of that. I mean, unless you're like a Steven Spielberg and m- maybe a Ron Howard. That's about it. You know, there's there's no... The concept of bankability. I love when we use bankability, whether it's arguing about why people of color don't get cast in, in movies or why disabled actors don't get hired in disabled movies. The concept that you need to have this proof that you can make or star in a film when we've proven that those are irrelevant. I mean, the concept of blaming, the concept of saying that a Star Wars movie is successful, then then it doesn't matter who directs it. If you're saying that a Star Wars movie will always make money because it's Star Wars, then who the hell cares who directs it? It doesn't matter. And on the point of Star Wars, hmm, let me think. Which Lucasfilm executive is really in charge of those movies? Oh, wait, that's Kathleen Kennedy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. (laughs) And as much as I love her, I still wish she would give a woman a chance to direct those damn things. Which I don't know why she hasn't, but I love the fact that she has so much control over those and that she fired Colin Trevorrow, which felt like a personal victory to me because (laughs) I was so pissed that he was going to direct one. So, Well, I think that that's a good segue into something you wanted to bring up about marketing. It is, yeah. Um, So this is so silly. We were trying to find a way to get this in here. (laughs) We were almost there. I figured I'll take the opportunity. (laughs) Right. Well, okay, so this started with, I mean, well, okay, this has been going on for decades, but my point in this started the other day. I was just in a store 
and they had this big display of stupid Pez dispensers. And they had these packaged ones. They had Star Wars and Justice League, which apparently just came out, according to Pez's Instagram feed. And, um, but I saw them, and I picked up the Justice League one, and the package had Superman, Cyborg, Batman, and Aquaman. No Wonder Woman. No star of the second highest grossing film of the year so far. But yet they have Superman, which, spoiler alert, supposedly dies in Batman vs. Superman. And then <laughs> Cyborg and Aquaman, who haven't even had, they haven't even really been introduced to Justice League fans yet. Who the hell is Cyborg? I, I'm assuming... I'm assuming that they're just waiting for the Army Hammer's Green Lantern one as wishful thinking. Like, I'm surprised that's not included in there. You know, well, we're just ho- thinking out loud. Right. We're Pez. Right. Well, now, this all calls back to a couple years ago with the Where's Ray campaign when Force Awakens came out and all the marketing, all the merchandising was going toward Finn. Really toward Finn. There wasn't even a, as much for Poe, but... You know, it was Those all bastards. Finn and Kylo Ren, and it was like, where the hell is Rey? And, you know, the... So the, the hero biggest, of the film! Yeah. Right, well, their excuse was that they didn't want to give away which side she was on. I'm like, you Bullshit. can tell from the damn trailers which side she's on, you know? Like, it was ridiculous. And so, the biggest thing was, or the most, the most obvious example, I guess, was the Monopoly Star Wars game, which had Darth Vader, Kylo Ren, Finn... And Luke Skywalker. So Darth Vader's not in the movie at all. Luke Skywalker shows up at the very end. And there's no Rey. And she, you know, she's not there at all. And so their excuse was, well, we didn't want to give away which side. Because it's a, you know, light side and dark side of the force, whatever, in that game. But then they were like, oh no, it's going to come. We're going to have a special edition piece that you can add to your game set. Okay, thanks. So then that was all, you know, that was their talk. So then in July of this year, the movie came out in 2015. In July of this year, July 12th to be exact, there was an article that I think came out in Variety where it's talking about the fact that there was still no Ray Monopoly piece and that they never had updated that that whole set. And so then... Uh, even J.J. Abrams was like, that's ridiculous, what the hell? And so then I guess he or his people looked into it, and it turned out, like, the company, is it Hasbro that puts out Monopoly? Yeah. Uh, so their excuse was that they had released a Ray edition in other countries, just not in the United States, because there was no interest in it, which obviously is not true. And it turned out that if you called their customer service number... They would send one to you. So generous. Because so it would be, it's not, it's just easier to make a million individual ones than just mass produce them. Right. It's a fucking monopoly piece. Exactly. Like, Jesus. Yeah. I don't see people calling about the fucking thimble. Right, when you exactly. Don't have that well, you might be surprised. But, <laughs> but anyway, so that was their answer was like, yeah, if you call our customer service line, we'll send you a rate piece. So, okay, great, thanks. So then there's an article that came out the next day in the Nerdist, on the Nerdist, uh, Nerdist.com, that was also a follow-up to that. And then a week later, on July 20th, they they updated and said, good news! Star Wars Monopoly is finally going to have Rey as of July 25th, 
2017. That's almost two full years after the movie came out. And Don't you just want to pat them on the back? Right. It's like, do you want a cookie? Like, good job, guys. You did what you should have done two fucking years ago. So, uh, it's just, I bring up that story just, and the, the Wonder Woman Pez thing, just because this is, these are just two little examples of how marketing and merchandising have been so ridiculous when it comes to these female characters. Like, I remember when I was a kid, Star Wars was a huge thing, and it was like finding a pot of gold at the end of a rainbow if you could find a good Leia, Leia toy. You know, it was mostly Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Darth Vader. Well, and what's, what's funny is, again, going back to classic studio era filmmaking, you know, say what you will about female faces being utilized to promote, you know, stuff like stockings or makeup or mm-hmm. something like that. But, I mean, I've I've looked through old copies of Look or, or you know, Photoplay, and I'm, I saw female actresses utilized to sell pretty much everything yeah. in the, the studio mm-hmm. era. You saw them promoting in, in, in character and out of character. I mean, female actresses had serious bankability in, in that time period to promote anything from, like, toothpaste to chocolates to bras. I mean, they were promoting everything anything right and now you that were marketed predominantly toward women toward women yes but they were they i mean they were in pages all the time Mm -hmm. for magazines i mean now you look at you know modern marketing in terms of of anything and really i can tell you that i see male actors voicing you know company you know company voiceovers or, or cars or all sorts of things but I still see actresses predominantly in, like, makeup commercials, and that's yep. about it. Yep. I mean, the marketing for actresses still is even more niche than it than it once was. Well, let me – I can jump in here, too. This is something in ter- that is endemic still to the geek and the nerd community. I mean, I write for a website called Geek Girl Authority, and it's the – harsh treatment especially that sometimes is geared towards women writing from these predominantly male and I'm sorry predominantly fanboy areas this is there has been a backlash since really episode seven came out against Kathleen Kennedy and you know that they are making Star Wars all about the chicks you know it's like what is wrong you know why are they taking Star Wars away from us why are they taking Doctor Who I mean we're because we're gonna have a female Doctor Who next and for a community that is supposed to be, you know, united in its, you know, differences, essentially, there is still such harsh treatment geared towards women from members of that community. Um, fake gamer. I remember that fake gamer girl thing all those years ago that women can't be legitimate gamers, that they don't play legitimate games and are more into, you know, Candy Crush. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I mean, the nerd community has had a has had a misogyny problem for a very long time. Oh, totally. This is, I mean, this this isn't anything new. And I, I do think that, and people have talked about this, that with kind of the mainstreaming of nerdism, right? So the, the popular, you know, using places like San Diego Comic-Con to actually launch franchises to have the Marvel panels, all that stuff. So it's become much more mainstream. And with that, there's been, that that's kind of worked in tandem with these particularly white male nerds having this intense reaction against anything that anything that is not white and male and straight 
Uh, and so, of course, women get wrapped up in that. So, you know, I mean, all of the accusations about Ray being a, a Mary Sue. Well, okay, fine, but if you really look at it, Luke is a fucking Mary mm-hmm. Sue. Yeah. You know, he. the only difference between the two of them is that he's a guy. And, and so all of those kinds of accusations that get going, it's, it's just the underpinnings of misogyny. It's just the underpinnings of a community that really doesn't want to let girls into their clubhouse. And, and again, it's, it's one of those heartbreaking things. They're just like, but I like this and you like this. Why can't we like this together? It's just like, well, you're the wrong, you're, you're the wrong gender. You look like the person who turned me down in high school. And so I don't like yeah. you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's all, it's, you know, all of those things, male entitlement, toxic masculinity, patriarchal superstructure, all of that stuff that are, you know, are buzzwords, but it's just like, yeah, this is exactly what's going on with these guys. And, and it's, and with the marketing it's still being translated into the marketing girls don't want to be Ray. It's just like but we do girls don't want to be wonder woman but we really really do like mm-hmm. we we would love to be wonder woman can you give us wonder woman stuff please exactly and that's that's the problem is it's like i i really think that the number of because i know a lot of people who love the force awakens they think ray is awesome you know and guys too And same with Wonder Woman. They think it's a great movie. And so it's like, I really don't think it's the majority, but it's enough, it's a loud enough group that for some reason the merchandisers listen to them and they think, oh, girls don't care about that toy or that, you know, action figure or whatever. It's like, but I want that stuff, you know? Why wouldn't I want that stuff? My understanding with the Disney stuff, so Disney owns Star Wars now, correct? Yes, Yes. correct. Mm -hmm. My understanding with the Disney stuff is actually that Disney has kind of put all of their energy into for they they've divided their stock essentially. So one side you have the Disney princesses and those are for girls. Right. And on the other side you have Marvel and Star Wars and those are for boys. Mm-hmm. And so that's why to a degree you're not getting the you know you're not getting Black Widow merchandise, you're not getting Rey merchandise. You're only getting the stuff that they think are is marketable to boys while the girls get all the Disney princesses and that's kind of the way that they're dividing things I think it's stupid because again it's making it's also making the argument that boys don't like Rey that boys you know shouldn't want to be a a girl Jedi and the girls only like frilly dresses and uh, falling in love with the beast so but that's I think that that's kind of at least from the Disney perspective that's what they're up to yeah okay well, speaking of Marvel, <laughs> Ben Mendelsohn may be joining the cast of Captain Marvel as the villain. Thoughts on that? Ben Mendelsohn seems to really like the Disney wheelhouse because he was in Rogue One. Hopefully yeah. he's he gets better material than he got with Rogue One. Um, yeah. I, I think he's good. I don't have the, the like, overarching love for him that, like, Ben Mendelsohn has, like, a huge fan, like, crazy fangirl base on twitter um but i'm excited i mean i'm excited for the movie to begin with so see i was unfamiliar with his work until rogue one and i you know i will completely agree he did not have the best stuff to work with but oh that that cape one <laughs> that cape and that costume won yes. over. i was gonna say i liked what he did with it he really didn't do a lot so i have no feelings about that <laughs> Okay, well, in more casting news, Zachary Levi is apparently going to play the title role in Shazam. Yeah, this is this is interesting, and it's really bizarre, like how DC 
is casting actors versus how Marvel casts actors. Because I think we all collectively laughed when we, uh, I, at least I laughed when I heard that Zachary Levi was going to be Shazam. Zachary Levi is probably best known to people as the voice of Flynn Rider from Tangled. I know him as Chuck. Chuck. Yeah, I call him, Chuck is the I call one. him Discount John Krasinski. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much, if you can't get Krasinski to do something, you get Zachary Levi. Um, I have no, like personal feelings toward him he's Flynn Rider it's the smolder but he's gonna be this is the new line DC superhero film so it just seems very odd um it's directed by David F. Sandberg um if you don't know who Shazam is he's a teenager who can transform into an adult superhero by saying the name Shazam so it's like big only like a superhero version of it and it's out. Yeah, I was like, okay. There were a lot of people that said Army Hammer was going to do this, which I think would be adorable because I have the feeling that he like is a teenager and just like an incredibly large man body. But I, I have no feelings for this personally. I just think the character is, God, we're going to have to do something about, oh, a teenager who can be an adult superhero in 2017. Like, please be kind. Okay. I, I just, I feel like this yeah. is like an inch away from being just weirdly gross. And Zachary Levi, again, like we were talking about bankability. Have we proven Zachary Levi is bankable and can lead a franchise? No, we don't really care. What I equate this, I almost think of this along the lines of Marvel bringing in Benedict Cumberbatch. Zachary Levi in has some sizable bankability in terms of very obscure kind of new media nerd communities. Um, he, he gets a lot of play kind of around. I think I'm looking at Nerd HQ and I can't remember if that is the page or not, but he is very kind of ingrained in that. MCs has done a lot of content at like San Diego Comic Con and that kind of what it felt was what it felt like to me. Oh, let's bring in this person with let's let's incorporate this person who the nerd community likes because of going back to Chuck because Chuck still has legs despite being canceled a long. I can't even remember how long ago. I got canceled like four times too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it was such a huge cult thing that bringing him in sounds like DC's way of going oh oh let's you know let's bring that let's see what we can do here so there might not be much mainstream bankability but I think they're they're seeing some bankability and they're trying to tap it it's like oh you know this guy here let's use him in here I just thought it was hilarious because now there's officially really going to be a movie called Shazam that exists. I would love <laughs> if it tied <laughs> that urban I would love if it tied into the Kazam universe, okay? And we just got yeah, that's yeah. What I was just Shaq is a genie <laughs> and then he teams up like he's the one who gives him the Shazam powers. Um and if Zachary Levi doesn't say something about the smolder during this movie, I'm gonna be really upset. Well but you guys know the the urban legend about Shazam, right? That's related to the the Berens, the Berenstein or the Bernstein. No, Berenstein, I've never right? heard of it's this. All that. No, 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 no. So there's this. Okay, so there was the movie with called Kazam with. Oh, that's Jack, right, the Sinbad thing. People are yes, people are convinced that this movie with Sinbad, star called Shazam, existed, and it never did. It was that not would be great thing. if we gave Sinbad some work and we just had him like walk through the film, like look at the camera and like shrug his shoulders. He needs to have a cameo. <laughs> he absolutely needs a cameo for sure. <laughs> so 
Anyway, okay, so let's see. Trailers this week. Since you already talked a little bit about Phantom Thread, let's start with that since the trailer actually came out. Like after right after we recorded. recorded. Mm-hmm. You, right. <laughs> so, um, did y'all watch the trailer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, apparently this film is going to be really popular with our group. Um, yeah, I mean, so, okay, positives. Uh, it looks beautiful. I mean, the costuming, mm-hmm. the time period, I still maintain that it's nine without the music. Because it is. I mean, it's a story of a fashion designer and, like, the woman, women who inspire him. And watching it, though, I am not a PTA person, as, as evidenced by the episode where I just pretty much admitted that I'd only seen, like, maybe two films. I'm really sick of... I got a lot of mother vibes with this. A lot of, of similarities to the mother trailer where the concept is like woman as inspiration for a male a male consumer and watching okay i'm glad you clarified that cause I was yeah like, yeah watching watching <laughs> Sorry, daniel day lewis kind of lust after this younger woman um which i'd love to know the age difference between the two of them because i'm pretty sure it's significant and then how she inspires him, but at the same time they end up destroying each other, I'm assuming. Um, that seemed to be the indication from the trailer. I-, I mean, the only thing is that, oh, woman's gonna destroy man. So that's a little bit different from mother, where it's the other way around. But still, I just, I felt something very cold about this movie, that it's just not gonna, I, I kept saying, it's not for me. It's not gonna connect with me. Yeah, Anderson is a very cold director in a lot of ways. I mean, he, he does have visually arresting films, but his his films very rarely actually get into any sense of real warm human connection or emotion, which can work in some stories and, and not in others. I'm, I'm in agreement. I'm so sick of the female muse stories. You know, the woman supporting the often uh, difficult or even abusive male artist and inspiring him to create something. It's just, it's exhausting. I actually got a, uh, a bit of a vibe from the, the film about Charles Dickens, the, I think it's called The Invisible oh, yeah. One by Ray Fiennes, which is a very good film. Like I actually, I think that that film actually deals with that kind of a, uh, an older man, younger woman relationship and the muse relationship in a very interesting way. But at the same time, it falls into some of the same traps and the same tropes as this kind of like, we're gonna bring on the young woman and then there's gonna be a problem because he's gonna get jealous and then she's gonna be like no i really love you and yeah it's just it's it's exhausting and and i i don't i don't believe that anderson is going to deal with this in a, in a truly interesting manner no by the way just to answer your question Kristen, daniel day lewis is 60 vicky crepes is 34 i don't know what their character's age difference is supposed to be but yeah it sounds about right <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> At least she's not 20. <laughs> right. Yeah, and, and I will say, this is a Christmas Day release based on historical trends. It won't get nominated, or it won't win Best Picture, because nothing that's been a Christmas release has, I think, in several years. But they love PTA. I keep saying they yeah. love PTA. True. They do. I'm a, su- I'm a sucker for costume period pieces. I will usually check them out i'm usually the first person going oh this looks fascinating i'm interested you know i'll check this out this just looks boring i (laughs) cold uh, cold just nothing about it appealed to me uh it's you know i 
find myself waiting more for, you know, thinking of, you know, costumes and, you know, period, you know, something like can't buy, you know, call me by your name, come, you know, comes to my mind quicker. There's nothing in this trailer that pulled me in, nothing that I thought looked interesting. And now I just want to watch the call me by your name trailer. Thanks, Kimberly. (laughs) (laughs) Like you weren't already going to watch that. Have you not seen the new clips they've released? These are on my phone every day. Okay. (laughs) well yeah so i am not a big pta fan either i did like magnolia but i just this does look i agree with you guys it looks boring it looks completely overdone when i saw the trailer i was like this is what we've been waiting all this time for this does not look interesting at all that's how i felt and yeah and i'm not even a uh, this is so controversial of me to say but i'm not even a huge daniel oh, that's okay i'm right there with you <laughs> so i i get why people respect him but no i'm not a fan either oh my I gosh <laughs> i don't dislike him i just all, never actively make just, an effort I... to see his movies no well he's only done like 20 of them and yeah and, you know it's, they're fine but i don't none of his performances other than lincoln are ones that I'm like, oh my gosh, I loved that so much. I want to watch the Crucible. His acting process must be exhausting. Yeah, yeah. Daniel Day Lewis and the Crucible forever. Yeah. Uh, Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. (laughs) So another trailer that we got this week was Winchester, which stars not about supernatural. In case you're curious, it's not associated with the CW show. No, it is not. (laughs) Winchester is actually based on, there is a, so the Winchester family, they started the rifle company back in the 1800s, and they have, well, there's a big house that belonged to the family. It's in San Jose, Mm -hmm. California, so up in the Bay Area, and it is rumored to be the most haunted location in the United States. It's actually one of only a few houses in California that somehow got a certification by the state as a haunted location. And it's basically the the widow, Sarah Winchester, which is who Helen Mirren plays, she was so grief-stricken. Well, nobody's really completely clear on the story, but apparently she was so grief-stricken that she kind of went a little crazy in her older years and just started having all these things added onto the, the house. The just rumor, all these rooms, doors that go the nowhere. The rumor was is that she was so haunted by the Indian tribes that had been slaughtered by the Winchester rifle that they compelled her to add onto the house as a means of appeasement. That's oh, the that's, that's the version, version that I've heard I a lot of different heard. stories, but yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I, I thought that the idea was also I I just I read the I think it's the Winchester House website after this trailer came out because I'd never heard of this and the the other piece that they at least they mention is that um, she was told by a medium that if she stopped adding on to the house that that's when she would die. Yeah. Oh yes. So that yeah. that's part of her whole story is that she has which results in this massive sprawling thing. Right. Yeah, and this house, Kristen, have you ever been there? Visiting the Winchester Mystery House has been a dream of mine for years. Unfortunately, (laughs) I have not gone there because Sarah didn't really think of handicap accessibility when she was going crazy. So um, I was told told that the only part I could see was the garden on the outside. And so 
Which is, you get an interesting idea of the house even just from being out on right. the Right, so I keep too. saying, but, like, I'll, I'll but go it's definitely one not day, the same. but I really just need to find, like, yeah. a good-looking man to, like, carry me and like a like a baby bjorn or something like around the house Perfect, um yeah. yeah so that i can see it um i am accepting su- yeah. submissions if you are interested in that job <laughs> well i i have been there and that house is weird as hell it is and like the, there are have you been there Kimberly? i i have yes okay it's been a few yeah, years like, but yeah yeah it was probably 20 years ago that i was there but yeah there are hallways like staircases that just go up to a wall there's nothing there. Doors I, that open to the outside, but there's not like a a balcony or anything. Like they just. I open love the doors that open it, to yeah the sheer like three story drops. <laughs> right, yeah. So it's this weird, crazy house. And so when I heard that they were doing this film and that Helen Mirren was going to be in it, I was super excited because I was just like, oh, that's such an awesome story. And then I saw the trailer and I was like, what the hell did they do? <laughs> yeah this this looks like a, a typical Blumhouse type of of movie i don't think it's going to get any real nuance or at the heart of anything other than to just scare people i got a lot of they've turned it completely into a supernatural yeah i got a lot of woman in black vibes from this which was a pretty forgettable movie and i mean helen Mm -hmm. mirror it's got a good cast but yeah, I, I mean, I think the actual legends and the house itself are gonna work better. And it's it's great that Lauren brings up the fact that she didn't know anything about this. I'm very interested to see how this plays on the East Coast and, and places that have never heard. This is the Winchester Mystery House is very much a West Coast California landmark. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, definitely. I'm gonna be the odd person out and say that I am really excited. Go for, this. for it! Yes, really, because. <laughs> I, I mean, granted, we've just had a trailer so far, and you never know, like, sometimes they, movies that look really interesting wind up being awful, and vice versa. I, I mean, maybe it's just that I like, I like myself a good ghost story, and Helen Mirren is, I don't think has really done one, and I'm really excited to see her do that. Well, uh, and... And, and the, just sorry. the whole idea of this massive maze-like house that is full of ghosts just sounds really awesome to me so i mean maybe this is just me being a generic horror fan but i'm really excited by this no and i think that that's actually a really good good point that you bring up and especially with what kristen was just saying like you didn't go into this having preconceived notions you didn't know about the story Mm -hmm. you didn't you know grow up hearing about this and I think that's where, for me, like, if I didn't know anything, if I didn't know that this was really based on a real person and didn't have any idea about some of this stuff, I'd be like, yeah, that looks awesome and creepy. But because of the history that I, you know, have with it in mm-hmm. the story, yeah, it makes me less It does. It does have Helen Mirren, Jason Clark, Sarah Snooks in this. So, I mean, again, it's got a good cast. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes out yeah. beginning of February. So, pretty dead, yep. dead month. February 2nd. <laughs> that... That is a worrisome <laughs> date because how often do we have good horror movies in February? Blumhouse is doing pretty good with Are films they? at the beginning of the mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. See, the Helen Mirren to just jump in with the Helen Mirren casting absolutely threw me because I think I was exp- I had some definite notions, you know, thinking about this as a character piece and diving into it. and then just looking at that trailer which shows like. Kristen mentioned very woman in black level jump scares. I mean, and I liked woman in black, but it's, I, I'm torn. I have no idea what to think of what this is going to turn into. 
Yeah, I was really hoping it would be more of a bi- biopic with like a psychological thriller bent to it, but it's it they're just going for straight up horror, which I'll try to go in open minded because I do enjoy those and I do like Blumhouse's horror films, but. Yeah, considering uh, considering my... Kimberly and I just talked about <laughs> old dark houses when we talked about House on Haunted Hill the other day, uh-huh. yeah, I, I'd love to think that this is kind of hearkening back to that, but I'm, I don't know. Yeah. Well, February we'll see. 2nd. We'll see in February, so. Yep. All right, so moving into reviews. So a couple of things came out this week. <laughs> so let's start with Suburbicon. Okay. Um, I can't say that without laughing. Okay, I, I will go first. As the person that was stumping for this for a while, I so I had low expectations. I read the script that the Coen brothers wrote back in the 90s, which it's very easy to see why they didn't adapt this. It was not 1950s set. The original script was modern day, but it had that kind of... The, the plot in the movie that involves Matt Damon and Julianne Moore is pretty much what is in the script. And it was fine. It wasn't anything great, but it was fine. And then when I had heard that Clooney was going to purchase it and was adding in a storyline that he wanted, I was like, oh no. I mean, the plot in a nutshell is it's essentially this like vertigo-esque murder mystery about a couple that decides to bump off the man's wife. If you've seen Double Indemnity, you've kind of seen it. Um, But then it has this weird turn into political commentary about the first black family to move into a white 1950s suburban community which is a very fascinating story if you google the real the real story that Clooney wanted to adapt the problem is Clooney couldn't figure out how to adapt it and I just think he didn't want to write it and so he decided to tack it on here and holy shit does it feel like it's tacked on because the the plot with the murder mystery is pretty cut and dry it's not great but it makes sense. And then there will be a scene of a woman being murdered and then it'll just cut to this nice little black family being hounded by people outside their house to remind you that it's happening. It's the most sloppily written film because you can just see, like I wrote in my review, that's got all the finesse of a small child jamming Play-Doh into a lock. You know, there's just no, (laughs) no methodology to how it makes sense. You never learn about these characters that are supposed to be so important. I don't even remember their names. I can tell you all the white people's names in this movie. I can't tell you these, these poor people that spend the entire movie being hated on the entire time. Well, they are the Myers family. They are the Myers family. That's all I I know. That's all I know. (laughs) Yeah. Mom, dad, and small child. That's it. And dad does not have a single line of dialogue. Nope, nope. Um, I was telling my friend, I don't understand the the intent other than reminding us the 1950s looked beautiful, but they were horrible. Well, really, if you've seen Pleasantville, you've already shown us that. That's not new. That's not progressive. And I didn't find there to be anything politically biting were interesting about watching a character put a confederate flag on somebody's house when I can turn on the TV and see that every day. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's Clooney's ode to white political satire, but it's not saying anything. It's just telling us this was going on well before the election, and it's probably going to go on well after that. Oh, really? Do you want a pat on the... I, again, it's like that you want a cookie for telling us something we already knew. And that's yeah. kind of... That ruins the entire movie, because it just feels like Clooney really wants 
and it's Clooney's running for office eventually. He wants to. We all know it. And watching this movie was just like him trying to say, I have something to say, but I was too lazy to say it. Well, and it's so frustrating. Yeah, I agree with everything you said. And it's really frustrating watching it because I kept thinking there's got to be a point where these two stories intersect in a meaningful way besides just the kids playing together, you know? And so I just, I thought, okay, well, when it's coming up to this crescendo, the big climactic moment, I thought, okay, well, there's going to be something where all the stuff that's happening with the family next door and all the people that are basically rioting outside, that's going to cause something, some interruption over here with Matt Damon's story, but that never ever happens ever and they really are just these parallel stories that don't have anything to do with each other other than these two little boys who play together there is literally a scene where oscar isaac shows up to this house looks out the window and says well there's a lot of shit going on across the street and you're just sitting there thinking that is this entire movie guy there's one movie being filmed over here and they're like "Hmm, you think we want to point the camera over it like that looks really bad no we'll just we'll just cursory come to it every now and then like that's how it feels and exactly if it wanted to be a throwback to 1950s film noir which would have been fine i've seen this is the second noirish type of movie that i've seen this week one of both of them are not good but one was better and one of them had john bernthal in it so that also made it better (laughs) um but one of them was more effective at evoking tone and watching this the murder mystery is fine i don't i never bought matt damon in the role this was a role that was originally meant for clooney and i can buy that because clooney's kind of Cary Grant-esque thing could have turned this into something like Suspicion, where you were really never sure of his motives. There's a point in this movie where Matt Damon starts threatening to murder a small child, and I didn't buy it at all. Mm-hmm. Can't really want to do things. Tone deaf. I, I found it truly tone deaf and was honestly very surprised because, I mean, as I wrote in my review, George Clooney has been one who does not shy away from political challenges. He is always such a mouthpiece out there for causes and such. For him to have produced and, you know, written and directed such a tone-deaf movie, I was truly stunned. I mean, and I'm completely with Kristen. The murder mystery stuff was, it was fine. It was... Uh, Damon was good. I was a little thrown by them trying to go for the dark comedy. I don't think it landed in all the places, but you know, it it was okay. I just the lack of development that the the Myers family underwent. The part that truly stuck out for me, and it was in that crescendo period towards the end, where they're kind of they're intercutting a bit. And you see Mr. Mayers kind of come out as things are wrapping up. And I think it's when he pulls the Confederate flag off the window. And he's kind of surveying things. And then you hear this vo- oh, this overlay of, you know, somebody talking about how people are animals and just how terrible everything is. It's Matt Damon. They couldn't even be bothered to give these characters a voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To have be watching this and to have Matt Damon doing the dubbing, it was... It's like you couldn't even be bothered to develop these characters enough to let them comment on what Yeah, and it's it's yeah. all about white saviorism. You know, the little boy yes. is the one that makes the effort to befriend this this 
you know, little kid across the street. And the movie ends with them playing baseball like this Chuck well, under after the... his aunt tells him to go. Exactly. And and the way they make Julianne Moore a villain, it's, I think it was supposed to come off like she was just faux white, white female feminism. Um, but I don't really know. I don't know the intentions. You know, the, the commentary got really confusing. And, you know, if the intent was that... There's so much surface intention with this movie. You know, the 1950s was bad, was just as racist as it is now. You know, that that there's a murder going on across the street. Literally in the street, a man is being murdered. But it's okay because we're distracted by the, the black family across the street instead of the white people that are doing the real bad deeds. Very surface level storytelling. Mm. You know, there's nothing, yeah. there's nothing barbarous about it. I have seen the bizarre, quirky suburbia thing done so many times by so many other filmmakers, and they have done a much better job. This is this is nothing new, nothing interesting. You know, people have done far better. Do we think? Before. But we Clooney isn't bringing anything. But I new think to Clooney will still get a chance to direct. I mean, I st- I still think. Well, he's already in development on his next. Exactly. Yeah, project. this isn't going to hurt him. And I am a huge fan of Good Night and Good Luck. That is you know probably in my top 15 films i love that movie which is entirely the reason why i went to see this yeah i will i do want to throw out real quick oscar isaac is the mvp of this movie and i'm not just saying that because i love him uh he is the i mean he's pretty much the only reason i I knew this movie was doa and i went because he's in it and he is in it for about eight minutes and it is eight minutes of magic because he is like definitely he's like somebody and I know that Oscar Isaac likes classic films because he told me, but, and I'm not just saying that obliquely, like he literally told me that. But it seems like he had a character in mind, like he's kind of going for that Edward G. Robinson double indemnity type of character and he's playing a part that's really fun. Like he seems to know what the parody is that he's going for there and dare I say he was funny. Like not in a dickish like like blunt humor either like generally funny the man has comedic timing i did not expect that i didn't think he had a sense of humor so i am i was excited so good good for him i wish he'd been in it more because it would have maybe made the movie tolerable somebody in my screening i could hear them behind me as the credits were rolling go man oscar isaacs was too that is literally (laughs) i was waiting by the door talking to the rep and everybody that came out said the movie was fine oscar isaac was really good i was like see yes that is what my husband does okay he makes magic happen yeah well and with 26% 26% on Rotten Tomatoes and a ninth place opening this weekend. I would say that Ouch. we're in the, the majority on our opinion on this film. Yeah, so, if yeah. you're going to watch it, wait for Redbox and just fast forward to the Oscar Isaac parts. You'll be fine. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this week we also saw Stranger Things 2 make its big debut on Netflix after a lot of buildup and a whole year away from... Hawkins, whatever state they're supposed to be in. Um, Indiana. Indiana? Indiana, yeah. Okay. Just look that up. <laughs> All right, thank you. So I know, Lauren, you, I saw it too, but I know you wanted to say some things about it, so why don't you take off with it? Yeah, and no, I just wanted to, to remark on it, I guess, because it's one of the few, I think it, it seems to be one of the few TV shows that, like, everybody gets into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really liked the original Stranger Things. I was kind of worried about what they were going to do because the the original show it almost feels like the the cliffhanger is tacked on um to be kind of like oh we can make another one also but actually this the the season two really develops it well 
it kind of deals with all of the trauma that these characters have gone through both the children and the adults and them having to work through the fact that you know they've gone through this horrible experience but they still have to live their lives they they still have to carry on and and how each of the different characters handles that um it's much less haunting than the original show which had such a good central mystery driving it this one is you know we kind of already know a lot of what is going on there's some mysteriousness to it but you can almost already begin to pick out the villains um how certain things are going to go there are some surprises but uh, it's, so it's more predictable, but I also think that it has greater um, emotional depth than than the original Stranger Things. So I was I'm generally pleased by it. Still have a little bit of problems with the gender issues, but you know that seems to be my thing. <laughs> yeah, I actually really enjoyed it too. I've still got three episodes left. I watched six episodes yesterday, and also went to the movies as well. So it was a good thing I didn't have a big busy schedule, but. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I agree with what you're saying that I really liked the way that they dealed with the issues of post-traumatic stress, not just for poor Will, but for everyone involved. And so I thought it was, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm excited to see what, what happens. So, and then Lauren, this week you also got to see the divine order. Why don't you tell us about that? I did and because I did not get to see Suburbicon, which obviously I missed so much, <laughs> but I did get to see the Divine Order, which I believe premiered in the United States at Tribeca this year, and I missed it at Tribeca, but I finally got to see it this past week. Um, it just came out in New York, and I think it's getting a wide release either this weekend or next weekend. It is about the women's suffrage movement in Switzerland in 1971. Women did not get the vote in Switzerland until 1971. And it particularly focuses on the lives of three women in this very small town in Switzerland and their sort of awakening into feminism and into the drive to to not only gain the right to vote, but also things like um, women are not allowed to, to work without their husband's permission legally. They're, they have very little power uh, outside of the home. And even within the home, there's this expectation that they wait on the men hand and foot. What's really lovely about this is about this film is that it's, it's about female friendship. It is about the women kind of coming into this, this awakening of like, there is something more outside of this tiny Swiss village. And we actually, you know, we can actually be full people. We can actually be equal to men. What? Uh, it also, <laughs> it also very wonderfully does not completely vilify the men, which I was glad about. It, it basically takes um, a look at patriarchy in sort of from the inside out and shows both how women reinforce the patriarchal structure and how men are also hurt by it. And the the lead character Nora's. Um, relationship with her husband is one of the central relationships throughout the entire film and it's also about him kind of coming to realize that his wife is very unhappy and that she wants more out of life than what she has been given and that he is either going to have to try to find some way to accept that or he's going to lose her and he's going to lose his family and but it's a it's a nice arc for for all of them it's a funny film also, there's very little violence, even though it's threatened every once in a while. 
and it's just a great feminist work. Female director, female writer. Um, the director is Petra Volpe, who has done a, a bunch of films in Switzerland. Um, she's she's excellent. Like I've, I, I always love seeing films that really have a great representation of female relationships that are not catty, that aren't like stabbing each other in the back, that are really real and emotional and connected. And this this film does it. It's really well done and it's very funny and uh, I highly recommend this. Awesome. I'm excited to see it. Thank you so much. Okay, so I wanted to just really quickly comment on a couple of things from last week that I here was not here to comment <laughs> on. <laughs> First of all, uh, you guys were talking about the disaster artist and Tommy Wiseau and him being kind of made fun of and all that. I just wanted to point out that Tommy Wiseau actually wrote a review for the LA Times and he was very positive and favorable about it. And he has said, I don't think it was in this review, but he has said that the movie is 90, that the disaster artist is 99.9% accurate. And, <laughs> and that the part that's All not right. accurate is that he can throw a football better. <laughs> I'm so glad that so, he has a sense of humor. Right? Good yeah. for Tommy. Exactly, yeah. So he, you know, if, if he feels like they're making fun of him, at least he's, you know, got a good, good, good humor about it, so. Okay, so there were a couple of F. Mary Kill submissions last <laughs> week that I didn't get to join in on, and uh, yeah, I thought about doing some creative, podca- creative podcast editing when you guys killed my man, but <laughs> I didn't go there. So, but anyway, um, I'm going to go with, so on the Oscar Isaac Army Hammer Riz Ahmed one... <laughs> I get the sneaking like suspicion that I'm going to be upset. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's just like, you're just going to be mean. No, no. Uh, so I'm actually going to F Oscar Isaac. Sounds back, right? Marry Riz Ahmed and kill Army Hammer. You, I, <laughs> I, I say this with love. You are stupid. <laughs> but, but Kristen, we actually already talked we in have. person about we have. my thoughts on Army Hammer. You have made and... egregious statements about him, and I've just kind of <laughs> sat there and been like, fine. <laughs> well, but you agreed with one of my points. I've agreed so with one of them, really but... Silly. So, but yeah, my feeling on Army Hammer is that he is all the guys in high school that talk to me about other girls, so fuck him. And not in that way. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not, like, raising my hand. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Fine. So, <laughs> on the Toms, of course I would marry Tom Cruise. And Tom Hardy seems like he'd be some fun. So I'm really <laughs> sorry, but I'm killing Tom Hanks. Aww. <laughs> Please don't hate Aww. me. You killed America's dad. <laughs> I did, I did. Yeah. Uh, do we want to throw out, what are we all seeing this week? What are we all seeing this um, week? I will say that uh, actually they are doing the Lady Bird premiere here in Sacramento. I, this never happens. Yeah. Wow. And, and Well, it makes sense. It's filmed, it's filmed there, yeah. And Greta Gerwig's going to be doing a QA, and a so I will be uh, going to see that tonight. I'm like freakishly excited. And then awesome. I think tomorrow is, Th- uh, Monday is, is Thor. So pretty, pretty quiet week for me. I have a couple screeners I need to finally get to. But yeah, those are the two, two biggies. Anyone else have anything? Uh, I'll jump. I'll jump in. 
I have had having to look at my calendar here. So I have Bad Moms 2 coming up Godspeed. on Monday. And then I will be seeing Wonderstruck and uh, seeing if my review correlates with Lauren's a while back. Uh, Potentially Lady Bird and then Coco and Chappaquiddick. <gasps> this Jealous, week. I want to see that. <laughs> and then Denver Film Festival starts Wednesday, so I will probably be just an incoherent jumble of film thoughts throughout the next couple of weeks. Fun. Lauren, when uh, have you seen? I don't think I have, I don't have any screenings this week. I'm, I'm actually going to see Hamilton on <gasps> Broadway. It's so good. Uh, so, <laughs> so, you know, whatever. But other than that, I mean, it's, uh, it's Halloween. So a lot of horror movies, mm-hmm. um, many of which are, are new to me, at least. I think I'm going to watch The Invitation. Oh, that's, that's an interesting Ooh. one. Ooh. Cool. Um, that is. Which I am looking, I'm greatly looking forward to, but not any new ones. I'm still kind of reeling from my experience with Blade Runner. <laughs> yeah, I um, I think I'm going to go see The Killing of the Sacred Deer this week just because it's in the theater nearby, but I don't have any screenings going on, so. Yeah, what comes out, what comes out Friday? Week. Is it just Thor? Thor. Is it just Thor? Uh, no, there's a couple of other things I'm trying to remember. Um, I was about to say, I can tell you here in a second. I'm almost there. Uh, next week is... I have Bad Moms for November 1st. Oh, I yeah. have Thor on Friday the 3rd. And then it looks like Wonderstruck and Limited on the email I'm Yeah, I have my movie pass. I'm, I might, if Wonderstruck is playing, then I'll probably go see that on Friday. Or um, maybe the Florida Project will expand and I can go see that because I want to. There you go. The... T- the tenth is when it fills up a bit more. I'm seeing Murder on the Orient yeah, Express. Yeah, yeah, we'll have we'll have a lot of, of stuff to discuss as we get closer to the holiday. Yep, absolutely. So, but anyway, Kristen, where can they follow you? I am on Twitter at journeys underscore film. And Lauren, I'm on Twitter at lh business. And Kimberly. I'm on Twitter at kpierce624. And I am on Twitter at Karen M. Peterson. You can find the podcast everywhere you listen to podcasts. We are Citizen Dame Pod on Twitter and facebook.com slash citizen dame. And please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff so that you can show everyone how much you love us and other people can find us too. So for... All of us here at Citizen Dame, have a great week, and we'll see you next time.